Hello, everyone, and welcome to HR Works, the podcast for HR professionals. We really appreciate you taking time out of your busy day to join us. I'm the host of HR Works, Jim Davis, and the editor of the HR Daily Advisor. This podcast aims to put valuable tools and knowledge into the hands and ears of you, the HR professional, and those tools will arm you with the best methods and strategies for attracting, motivating, and retaining top talent. This episode is a SHRM credit approved podcast episode, so please stay tuned for information on how to get your credits later in this program. In this episode, we'll be taking a hard look at how mothers in particular fared over the last year, um, but also parents uh, in general, the impact that the pandemic had on them and how employers can better position themselves to support mothers and other parents and create a place for them in the next normal. The issue will be discussed from an HR perspective as well as from an employment law perspective. Our first guest is Kara Shea, an attorney with Butler Snow in Nashville, Tennessee. Kara is a member and practice group leader for labor and employment. She regularly counsels clients in financial services, healthcare, and home health industries on employment law compliance. She has extensive trial and appellate experience in Tennessee and around the country. Our other guest is Michelle Keefe, CEO of MomUp. As a stay-at-home mom, Michelle discovered, like many of her friends, she wanted to continue her career path with businesses who value work-life balance. She found herself surrounded by highly educated, skilled, energetic, multitasking megastars that were unemployed and looking for new, exciting challenges. She realized by forging partnerships with progressive companies and connecting them with skilled talent, MomUp could make a huge impact. She holds a graduate degree from Harvard and an undergraduate degree from the University of Notre Dame. Thank you so much, Cara and Michelle, for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. Uh, so why don't we jump in? I want to start with sort of uh, setting the scene of what happened this last year. I've read some some details about some of the research suggesting that one in four women have either quit their jobs or considered quitting their jobs over the last year, um, specifically because of the pandemic and the requirements of, of childcare. Um, and you can imagine that employees that are planning families um, or are currently uh, in the process of having their first or, or even second or third child um, are also pretty, uh, you know, would also have been making these kinds of considerations. So um, I don't know if Michelle, if you could sort of help set the stage as to what happened this last year. Yeah, absolutely. So the news obviously has not been great um, for women in the workplace. And I mean, this fall, the numbers reached nearly a million uh, of women having to um, leave their job or they've been fired or furloughed or whatever the case may be. And we're, we're losing this massive component of the workforce that we have been working so hard um, and has made great strides uh, to bring a little more equity and diversity. And um, the long-term effects of this are serious. You know, we have um, on an individual level, women having the loss of income and families having loss of income, um, a loss of uh, spending money going back into the economy. Companies are losing uh, working mothers, um, and, and it's mothers in particular. Um, there are fathers that have left the workforce, of course, um, but really we're seeing the impact is heavily on women. And um, the silver lining is that it is unveiling um, a lot of systemic issues in 
uh, the workforce in our country where there's a lot of um, un- invisible labor being placed on women. And whether it's at home, whether it's um, in this country, we're sort of you know, leaning um, on women as this free labor so that when this crisis occurs, we don't have the infrastructure to support um, families. It's a really serious situation. I, I guess for the purposes of this of this podcast episode, we are going to focus specifically on mothers. You know, I just want to acknowledge sort of with the introduction that, you know, um, patern- paternity leave and, and parental leave are part of the discussion because especially when we get into sort of the employment law section, but I'm aware that the, the impact has largely been on, on mothers, um, especially on uh, single mothers of color. And that's, that's really what we want to focus on here. Um, Kara, what are you seeing from the employment law arena these days? Well, I, I've had um, the experience of looking at this from a couple of different perspectives this year. Um, I'm an employment defense attorney, and so I represent employers uh, in, uh, you know, working on compliance with all the, the applicable state, federal, local laws. So I've tried to help them through these issues as they've seen all these unprecedented pressures on their workforce while they're trying to be productive and stay in business and keep people paid. So there's a tension there. Um, but I've also seen it in my own law firm. Um, I, I was on our executive managing committee this past year. Um, and so we're law firms are no different. We've had the same issues. And we've I've seen particularly young women um, partners, associate staff, really struggling this year. Uh, and it's, you know, it's because they're in a position, and, and we've been quite flexible with telework, you know. Um, we, we went to, uh, you know, almost total telework at one point earlier this year, and we continue to give that option to just about everybody. But telework is difficult when this, the child care option is not available. Um, and so, We've seen uh, young lawyers and female staff really struggling with that, trying to do uh, their jobs while they're trying to homeschool kids or coordinate homeschool pods or, or do childcare for young children. And I will give a shout out to the dads, even though the focus here is moms, I've, I've seen some impact on young men too at home with young families um, because they and their wives are both at home with three little kids and they're both trying to do full-time jobs and it's, and their childcare options aren't available. So it's been a struggle. And I've seen it from, from the perspective of being an employer as well as trying to advise employers on how to handle this. Yeah. It seems like one of those things where, you know, I don't think anybody, I don't think very many people are out there that are like, Oh yeah, let's send all the mothers home, you know? Um, but it is one of those things where people are going to feel stressed. They're going to feel disenfranchised and they're going to um, be struggling financially, which is a recipe for litigation. Um, have you, what have you been seeing uh, as far as what your clients and obviously not specific clients, but are lawsuits from, from single mothers starting to appear or what do they look like? Yeah, um, I I have seen a few come down the pike, and I think we're probably going to see more this year. And it goes back to the tension there. 
which is the employer has something that they need to get done. Um, they need to produce their product or do their service for customers or whatever it is that allows them to keep the lights turn on and pay people, right, and stay in business. And they're relying on a workforce that is hobbled uh, because of the pandemic that um, is trying their best to work from home, but there are distractions. And so, you know, when you see a dip in productivity or a dip in responsiveness, I think sometimes the knee-jerk reaction is to say, well, that person's not pulling their weight or that person is, you know, not doing what we need. Um, I think most of my clients don't see it that way. I've been really flexible in working with employees, but there are some who've had some knee-jerk reactions, and that's where you're seeing the lawsuits. Um, th this person is not doing what we need. They're not, you know, on the Zoom. They're not answering the call. They're late in their assignments. Um, we're letting them telework, but they're really not getting anything done, and so we're going to let them go. And I can see it from my clients' perspective or from businesses' perspectives because they're under a lot of pressure to generate revenue in, in crazy circumstances. But I think sometimes they don't think it through all the way. Um, and, you know, the, the, this new – and remember, too, we all thought this was going to be over. <laughs> remember back in April or May or June when we thought, oh, we can just tough it out a, a few more weeks or a couple more months. We can get everybody back to normal. And that hasn't happened, and it is not going to happen um, anytime soon. And I think the wiser employers and the more forward-thinking employers have got a long-term plan in mind and have been willing to be a lot more flexible to retain those people, understanding we're going to go through some tough times together, and you're not going to be at your peak productivity right now. Uh, but we're going to stick with you, and we're going to work with you because you were a good employee before this, and we don't want to have to replace you. You know, we want to keep you. Um, and then employees, for their part, I think, are learning how to work in this new environment. It was tough at first. I think people are getting their schedules uh, set, and, and they're getting some backup help. And it's still not easy. And, and Michelle, you can probably speak to this. I think people are learning new ways of working, um, which is helping the situation. Definitely. Um, I think that we're starting to kind of catch up with technology. Um, our, the way we've been working, I feel like has been a little bit archaic. We've been very um, traditional in how we think of work and where we work and the number of hours and the typical work day. And um, obviously this has really shaken things up, but it's also, you know, kind of alerted us um, or opened up our eyes to the fact that we don't have to work in these the parameters in which we have been working. We have all of these advancements. I mean, Zoom alone and all of the other um, uh, programs out there that have allowed us to be at home, be able to communicate with each other easily has been amazing. And now it, it's um, great for companies to realize that people can have flexibility and figure it out. So hopefully we can take this with us. Because because it's not it's not going to change next week, um, and honestly, I've had a lot of clients say that that the, the telework arrangements have have gone so well they may continue some of them even when when the pandemic is over. So that'll be an interesting new workscape uh, that we're looking at. 
especially when I think a lot of companies have realized the amount of savings, uh, long-term savings with rent and whatnot that they can have, uh, if they can limit the number of people that go in or have flexible, um, you know, offices and whatnot, uh, there's a lot of advantages to the employer and the employee. One of the interesting things, I mean, there's so many issues here, but one of them is, is that organizations that haven't been flexible, many of them haven't lasted. Uh, If you can send your workers home, I mean, you should, and you should keep them home as best as you can. And those that haven't been flexible with their their working mothers and the people that have children at home, uh, I mean, they got to be seeing the negative returns on that approach. Well, well, Jim, for one thing, the employers that now now keep in mind, not every employer can do telework. I mean, I represent manufacturing facilities and public utility providers and banks and and. You know, so putting those aside, the the ones that can do telework, but wouldn't prefer to do it that way, the ones that have been the most stubborn about keeping people in the office, what it's ended up being is just this constant dance of quarantine, you know, because when you have people in a workspace, then you have all these safety issues. Um, You have to follow the CDC guidance you have COVID exposure situations. So you're on this kind of constant merry-go-round of people being on seven or 10 or 14 day quarantines in and out of the office. Whereas the people, the the employers who've just said, you know what, we're gonna be at home for the time being, um, haven't had to worry about that. Uh, So I just wanna throw that out there. When companies, like you said, Kara, don't have these knee-jerk reactions in the way they respond to a crisis situation, and they really think through what's going to benefit the company in the long term, what's going to benefit my employees, what's going to help us retain these employees. They, it's so much more um, sustainable for them, and they're going to have so much more success navigating this time period. And I mean, especially nowadays when we companies are expected to constantly evolve and constantly innovate. And if you're a company that's not keeping up and um, not evolving and not adapting to whatever is happening in real time, you're not going to survive and you're certainly not going to get the best talent and you're not going to retain the best people. That's very true. Um, and I think the next challenge is, you know, okay, so we're, we're, we're being flexible and we're permitting uh, telework uh, or we're just allowing it as a blanket concept. Um, and so that's going to retain the people with little kids or the moms that would have to drop out otherwise. Um, so then the next challenge is what do, what do you do as an organization to, number one, keep people engaged? Uh, because while I think there's a lot of good things about working from home, I think it's also easy to lose a sense of engagement. Um, and so how do you keep people engaged and motivated and enjoying, uh, you know, uh, the work atmosphere. And then from the more pragmatic standpoint, you know, how do you, how do you keep people accountable? You know, how do you make sure they're doing what they're supposed to be doing? Um, and that, that was the struggle for a lot of my clients early on, because there's this idea is if I can't keep my eyes on you uh, or, or pop in your office, I can't keep track of what you're doing. And that's just simply not true. There's a lot of other ways to manage and supervise people effectively. 
Um, and the, the employers that have done best in this environment are the ones who have been flexible and learned how to do that. But, and I don't know, if, Michelle, the, if, you had, if you had thoughts on the idea of engagement, because I do think it's, it's, it's workable and it's doable, but it's harder to keep people in, engaged. It definitely is. And I think that a lot of companies right now are going through the growing pains of trying to figure that out. Um, and I think one of, you know, the big thing is, is that, um, is focusing instead of how, you know, how much time a person is clocking in and really reframing how you're evaluating your employees and looking at what are they producing. Um, and I, th I think that is the biggest thing, looking at it from a more holistic perspective instead of, okay, they're, they're, they're in at eight and they're leaving at six. Are they producing what you want? Are you having regular check-ins with your employees? Um, not only to see how they're doing, um, but also to see, you know, are they able to get their work done and what are the obstacles that are preventing that from happening? Um, so communication is, and as simplistic as that sounds, is the foundation for having um, employees that are engaged, employees that are motivated um, and loyal. And how are you implementing good communication, quality communication, and, um, and, and how does that sort of um, impact the corporate culture as a whole? And um, are you creating an environment where employees feel, you know, that what's the, um, the phrase I'm hearing a lot lately is psychological safety. Are you creating a workplace where your employees feel comfortable um, being honest and transparent? And are you being honest and transparent with your employees? And I think that that is the number one thing. And then having that level of communication, having transparency, creating a place where employees feel okay um, asking for certain things or, um, you know, explaining what the, you know, the problems are that might be preventing um, quality or, you know, productivity and, um, you know, and regularly checking in. And I think that it's going to take a lot of training, but long-term, it's so worth it for companies to start implementing that. There's a situation that I, I've talked to a lot of HR professionals over this last year. I interviewed at least a couple a week, and I've talked about this issue, you know, um, the idea of it's about getting the work done, not about what time you work. And I, I've said that to a lot of people, and they say back to me, I totally agree. So what we allow people to do and what a lot of our employees are doing is that they're, they're determining parts of the day where they are available to work before your kid wakes up, when your kid's having a nap or, or is engaged with something or is watching TV or whatever it is, and then late in the evening when they're asleep. And I've felt that that misses the point because what there's a lot of these companies are still organizing these thoughts around is getting those hours in. When are you going to get them in? And there's a lot of problems with that system. One, it's unsustainable. You can't work all day, every day, because that takes away all your free time. You're working when you would normally have had either free time or <laughs> would have been asleep. Uh, two, if you're concerned about your engagement at your organization, all engagement efforts now are virtual and take extra time, time that someone that's already squeezing their workday into whenever they have time because of their kids, 
won't have time for those. You know, uh, who who's going to be able to go to a, a Zoom call when they're under a crunch to do eight hours of work in six hours? And, and then the other thing that's happening, three, is that, um, you know, like we're talking about a little bit earlier, people that aren't working the full 40 hours, the full eight hours a day, but are getting their work done, um, aren't as visible in the office. Maybe they can't go back to the office or some people can, but they can't or they're not able to go beyond the level of just getting their basic work done. So they're not being viewed as the excellent employees that they clearly are because the standards of work are deeply ingrained. Even when an organization says, just get the work done, it doesn't matter how long you work, people hold themselves accountable to saying, I only worked six hours today. I feel bad. I feel like I didn't do enough. And they don't necessarily share that with their supervisors and their leaders. Um, so this situation has created a really complex and unsustainable world. So I wonder, what is the approach for correcting that? How, how do you approach it? Well, I, there's also a fallacy that when everyone was sitting in the office from eight until five, they were all getting exactly that amount of productive work done. And that's a fallacy. It was never true. Um, and so I think if we think about it like that, maybe we can be more flexible um, in the way we approach it. People aren't robots and they have their times when they can be more productive and times when they're less productive. And that's true whether they're in the office or on the road or at their house, right? Um, so that that's, it's just the psychology of being able to see somebody <laughs> and you know they're in their office and, and, and they're not doing anything else. Um, makes us feel like they're being more productive, maybe. I think that there's um, definitely a, uh, has to be a top-down approach in it. And I think that managers, executives have to um, set the tone and create their own boundaries. So if they're not sending emails at 11 o'clock at night, then the employees don't feel like they have to respond at 11 o'clock at night. So there there's a way that if they can develop a pattern um, and set the tone for, okay, here are the, here are the, you know, I am not available during this certain time of the day, you know, or really um, speaking to the fact that, you know, it's okay to set boundaries from work. It's okay to have this balance, um, but it really needs to be communicated um, so that people feel okay about doing something like that. I mean, like you said, Jim, traditionally, you were rewarded if you were the last person to leave the office, you know, so for somebody with kids, that's, they can't even entertain that idea, you know, especially um, a mom can't stay, can't clock out at eight o'clock at night, they have to pick up a child at wherever the child care facility is. And if you're, if the culture of the company is let's reward the person who's responding to messages at 11 p.m., who's clocking out of the office at eight o'clock, then it creates this um, systemic imbalance where a parent can never or shouldn't have to um, live up to that or you know, be, be um, held accountable for not being able to do that. Um, it's, it's, 
in some ways, I think the virtual aspect at least takes out that component of I'm the last one in the office. It's still, though, creating um, that boundary of I'm not always on. Yes, I have the technology to be always on, but I cannot be staring at my phone or my computer 24 well, that's, Yeah, and it's not healthy and it's it, it's not sustainable. Um, you, you know, I think we've all experienced this at some point working from home during the pandemic where you feel like you're never off duty. And, and I don't think that's psychologically sustainable. I think it's going to result in burnout. Even the people that are really the workaholic, um, you know, who can't, you know, who do that willingly, uh, this environment that we're in right now is so enables that, that I think it's too, it's, it's unhealthy, right? Where there's never a boundary. I mean, even just that, that drive from your office back home, that commute is a little bit of a cushion or a time to unwind or get your head in a different space. And we don't have that now, you know, there isn't even just that little time when you're betwixt and between, um, and I think that's going to impact people psychologically. I'm not a medical expert, <laughs> but I mean, I've seen it with myself and I've seen it with my colleagues. And, and, and to be the lawyer in the room for just a second, I, this is also making me, re, me think about danger zones here. Um, I think, Jim, we're talking a lot right now about people that are on a salary, exempt employees that are paid a certain amount and expected to just work as necessary to get the work done. But to the extent you have people doing telework who are paid on an hourly basis, who are required by law to record their time, um, who are non-exempt and would be owed overtime if they're working extra hours, I fear that we're getting into kind of a dicey situation for compliance. I think a lot of telework was done pretty hastily um, last year. Uh, and I think the DOL, uh, the Department of Labor, has been pretty light on its enforcement on this stuff. I don't think that's going to be true going forward. Um, and I think employers are going to be expected to get their ducks in a row. So it's a challenge making sure people are accurately recording and being paid appropriate, appropriately for their time when they're in this sort of fluid situation where they're, it's hard to tell sometimes whether they're on or off duty. And I think employers really need to get their arms around that starting right now if they're going to continue telework uh, arrangements for non-exempt employees. That's really true. So much got thrown out the window because we basically had a couple of days to send everybody home. I mean, I don't, I think back to that time back in March and I don't know how it got to that point and we didn't see it coming. I mean, I remember the day before they sent us home, I was like in a frenzy. And I was like, I'm going to go home. I'm not going to come back because this is getting ridiculous. You know, um, no one. And remember, no one was wearing masks back then. Uh, now it's like half the people are wearing masks. Back then it was no one no one, because the CDC was saying we don't know what the effect is. You know, so like every minute you were in that office or wherever you were at work was a, a minute you could be exposed. Um, and then the priorities of the organizations, no one can do it all right away. And we, we had to learn as we went how to handle certain aspects of it. So, so much got pushed to the back burner. Um, training gets pushed to the back burner. What do you do with your diversity programs got pushed to the back burner, um, at least for a little while. And, and so many other like sort of mine, seemingly minor things 
with the understanding as we discussed that, okay, well, we'll do this for a little while and then we'll come back. People were still had the fantasy at that time that there would be a going back, there'd be a return to normal, that COVID would be over. And it's created this situation over the last year where uh, it's kind of like waiting for uh, the contractor to arrive and they told you they'd be there somewhere between eight in the morning and, and midnight, you know? And, oh, they could be here any minute. They could be here any minute. We could go back any minute. It just was so easy, I think, for people to just keep passing passing things down the line and waiting and waiting. And I think that's very true for the um, employees, too. It was palatable. You could handle it because you knew that in just a couple of weeks, maybe we'd be able to go back or things would be back to normal. And as that became unrealistic... And, and then ultimately impossible. That's when you see the burnout happening. That's when you see the people realizing I'm being taken advantage of, you know, maybe it's time for me to call my, call my lawyer. Maybe it's time for me to quit. Maybe it's time for me to start stealing time. You know, maybe it, whatever it is, that's, I think, and they've, they've done studies on this. It's, you can only last for so long for, before that all that stuff collapses and extreme action gets taken, whether it's wise or not. And I think we're well past that point now. Well, I, I see another crop of lawsuits possibly coming up because uh, of, you know, a, a, something that I think is going to happen more and more, which, which is that in the beginning, a lot of employers just made hasty decisions based on safety, trying to get everybody out of the office as much as as soon as they could, a lot of those same employers took uh, PPE loans, right? To stick to, cause they, everybody was worried. Nobody right. knew in the spring how this was going to impact the economy. And it's been kind of crazy because some businesses have been devastated while as others are doing fine. Right. But nobody knew exactly how that was going to go back in, in uh, April when everybody was applying for the loans. So you keep people paid, I mean, I, I'm aware of many, many instances where businesses basically just sent somebody home or just kept paying them, even though that person really didn't have a job that was amenable to telework and wasn't really able to do anything productive for the employer. But they kept paying that person, um, partly out of not having a plan, partly out of feeling bad for the person partly because they took PPE money, which meant they had to keep paying everybody using the funds to keep to, to fund payroll and just not wanting to make those decisions. And, and with the mindset that, oh, this is going to be over soon. You know, Kara doesn't really have anything to do right now, even though she's making her full salary. But this pretty soon we're going to be able to bring her back to whatever she was doing. Well, that hasn't happened. And, and I'm worried that a lot of those people are going to be cut loose. Um, I think it's already been happening in the last quarter of 2020. And I think it's going to continue happening. Um, and I worry about those people because I'm not sure what their safety net is. And I worry about some of those people, you know, bringing lawsuits. Um, and, you know, you have to look at each specific situation to see if, if somebody did something against the law. But, but I do see that as a phenomenon. I think there's people that are kind of underemployed right now or underutilized that once employers get their plan in place for this continuing pandemic situation, some of those positions are going to be cut. 
And that's very interesting. You hear about the idea of, you know, obviously if you do the work, you get paid. I don't know what happens in a situation where you get paid, but you don't do the work. Some of the situations there just isn't work to do. Like, well, this person did XYZ job on our premises. We don't want to let them go. So we just sent them home and we've been paying them. But now we've got to tighten up. And now we don't have that loan money anymore. And and I think we're probably going to see, you know, another sort of period of layoffs and furloughs um, in, in the first uh, quarter of 2021. Let's, uh, let's switch gears briefly to talk about frontline workers. Um, it's something that we don't talk about enough um, because it's, first of all, I don't have a lot of experience with it. Uh, and a lot of the people that have the ability to have a voice right now are people that get to work from home. And the people that are working uh, in person are busy you know, and, and stressed and over, overworked. What is that, you know, maybe Michelle, you can answer this. What is it looking like for working mothers that are frontline employees? I mean, I can't, I can imagine that they're leaving the organ, they're leaving the workforce at greater rates than people that can work from home. Do you have information on that? Yeah. Well, I think what, I mean, what's really interesting is that there's really no good situation for most people right now. Um, whether you're working from home and trying to manage, you know, your children and their schooling and whatnot. Um, but for the essential workers who have to go into their jobs, I think the burnout rate is probably incredibly high right now because not only are they having to um, expose themselves to greater danger, um, but they're also having to leave the house while their kids are most likely at home. So it's figuring out childcare, um, paying for childcare, um, the concerns about having somebody in your home or bringing your child someplace, um, you know, managing school if, if you're not there. Uh, there's a whole nother multiple layers of uh, stress for essential workers right now. And they're often not paid as much as the people who can do their jobs at home. And um, it's, I think it's a very frightening situation. I think that they have to do, um, uh, they have to balance so much more at a much deeper level. And um, it, as, as difficult um, as it is, and you know, I'm working from home, my husband's working from home, we have three young kids who are remote from school. It's not the same as if you have to figure out childcare leaving the house. Um, and and if you don't, if you're not getting that income to support paying that you, you're not used to, I mean, most people really, most people, everyone pretty much depends on school to provide childcare for those working hours. And when that was ripped away, um, talk about leaving people vulnerable. I mean, it's, it's such a challenging situation. Um, so I think we're going to see a lot more burnout from essential workers and um, and people having to leave those jobs as well from just sheer necessity of challenges with childcare. And then if you're a single parent, um, I mean, well, of course the the stress is is at a, a magnitude that is um, very significant. Yeah, I mean, I'm getting stressed out just thinking about. I know, it. I am too. My heart's racing. <laughs> <laughs> I. I have a daughter, she's three and a half years old, and I 
out of sheer luck, you know, her tr- major childcare was my mom, who doesn't see anybody, um, and a neighbor who was a, a house sitter and pet walker. So she also doesn't see people. And we were able to retain fairly secure childcare. And I am all the time so grateful because there have been days where, where, you know, we had a COVID scare and we had to be home for two weeks with Isabella. Um, her, my office is directly next to her play area and it is, it's impossible. I, I can't, you know, I basically just crunch out the absolute critical work that I have to do for that day. And then the re- if I get anything else done that day, it's a miracle, you know, and at the end of the day, like, you know, these, I hear these stories about these parents that are, you know, taking care of their kid all day and then working at night. I don't have energy to work and I don't even have energy to play video games at night. My favorite thing to do because I'm so exhausted from listening to her tell me stories for eight hours while I'm trying to write articles you know, it's, and we're so lucky and it's so overwhelming for us. I can't even imagine what it's like for people that don't have that, that support system. It must be impossible. I think that's been the biggest gap um, in this whole thing because, you know, not everybody has those options, right? That you described. And what do you do? What do you do if you have to go to the public utility to keep the electricity on for your job or go to a hospital to be a nurse and your kid's school is closed and your parents live in California and, you know, school closure, I don't mean to get into that whole controversy. I think there's good reasons for it, but there's nothing, there was nothing to replace it. Nothing in terms of, of, uh, a plan or an option to keep those essential workers um, doing what they need to do to keep society running. Right. And even apart from their personal issues and burnout, we need those folks. Right. Um, And so what, what are they supposed to do with their kids? And, and it's hard. I think a lot of kids, you know, the little ones are one thing, but I think a lot of older kids have kind of dropped out of the system. I worry about that as a long-term consequence of this. So yeah. Um, I don't, I see that as one of the biggest failings that, you know, as a society towards those people that were expecting to work and be on the front lines, that, that they don't have anywhere to put their kids during the day. Yeah, it's one of those things where you just sort of, because I can't do anything about it, I just try and not think about it, um, which is the worst way to approach things. Uh, and it's, you know, it's my job to think about it, uh, which it's not a lot of people's job. It's been so hard to find guidance for frontline workers to provide to the HR professionals that have to deal with deal with those kinds of workers. I just well, and, and it's you know the, there's others being impacted. Like uh, some, I, I represent some clients that work in the home healthcare industry, right? And so they're the ones that go out and care for the little old grandmas that can't take care of themselves and don't have family around, and they were trying desperately to keep people and, you know, retain people throughout this whole pandemic. They were losing their workforce for all of the reasons we've described. And if they lose their workforce, who's going to go take care of those people, you know? And, And it was pretty desperate at times. I think what's interesting, and this, you know, kind of maybe slightly off topic, but 
for a lot of these essential workers, um, and especially because a lot of essential workers are women, um, one of the other sort of foundational issues is that the wages are so um, off, really off base for a lot of these roles. Um, and, you know, I look at, for example, New Zealand is now um, implementing this um, law that says that these that positions of these essential workers or different in, in different industries, they're trying to bring more equity to the wages. So um, in roles that are heavily male oriented, like say law enforcement, um, which is a high stress job, um, they're paid much more significantly than say in a more female dominated um, role like social work. And if they can bring more um, wage parity to these roles, then in a situation like right now, and the the you know women that are going or the caretakers that are going in and helping the little old ladies, they're more likely to keep these jobs and be able to hold on to them and be able to support childcare um, in a when a situation like this arises. But you know there's so much discrepancy between a lot of these different positions, um, especially ones that are heavily female. Um, that the, the, they're not paid enough to warrant or to allow them to find and pay for um, childcare. So there's so many like layers and there's so many um, different, uh, you know, foundational problems that need to be solved so that when we are planning for a future crisis, which of course is going to be, there's, you know, th that that's life. If we can change some of this, you know, infrastructure at a deeper level, then we'll be better prepared when a future one arises. But there's a lot, of course, that has to change. It's very true. Um, a lot of a lot of what's happened in this country for how, you know, workers' rights have evolved and the way that corporations operate. Um, you know, with always with the bottom line first, invited these problems. When when you know the proverbial poop hits the fan, you know we weren't we were not ready. And so many of the the things that were needed were compassion, understanding, equity, and those are things that lobbyists and large organizations have been fighting against uh, for decades. You know. And this is what happens when you don't, when you run things to the edge, to the limit, uh, under, under the quote unquote best of circumstances, you're not prepared when something really terrible happens. You know, it's criminal that people that are in McDonald's are considered essential and the McDonald's around, I don't know if you guys see, but the McDonald's around here have the line out, out to the road all day, every day. Those poor people are making almost nothing. You know, I haven't heard campaigns from from the CEOs of McDonald's that must be just raking it in, saying, well, we're paying our people more now, you know, and they're risking their lives to do what was already not a very good job. Now it's a deadly job. Um, it's just it's just crazy. It's crazy that we're in a situation and it's been a year almost and I'm not hearing the solutions like, you know, like you're suggesting, Michelle. I'm not hearing people talk about that. Are, are you guys hearing people talk about paying these people more or, or, or trying to fix things from a, 
from the employer perspective? So I do, I'm, I do feel like there is some um, demand from consumers for companies to have a little bit more equity and a little bit more um, just in general compassion and some level of fairness in how they treat their employees. I think right now, um, and this is, again, this is what happens when in a crisis, people are very um, self-protective and insulated you know, that it's, it's hard to sort of think beyond what is happening to yourself right now. Um, so I, there's not enough, and there's certainly not at the government level. Um, there are some companies, I, I do think that there are some companies that are driving some, for some change um, and trying to be, um, you know, push for more impact moving forward. But no, for a lot of these larger companies, I mean, we see with like a McDonald's or an Amazon that are benefiting greatly from this situation, not trickling it down to the people who are making it happen. Yeah, Amazon's one of those ones where for a little while there, they they put all their, we, we have Amazon Prime, you know, we rely on it. Um, all their, their deliveries got delayed by two weeks. And then before the holidays, they fixed that somehow and everything was back to normal. You know, what does that, what does that look like in the, those, in those places, in the, you know, the packing facilities, it must just, it must've just been insane this year in particular. Um, I want to switch gears real briefly and to talk about, you know, we have a new administration and um, the last administration uh, was not necessarily considered to be particularly compassionate. And we all know that not a lot of legislation was passed uh, that could have been designed to protect employees and employers alike. Kara, uh, do you have any ideas to what the Biden administration, how they will approach these particular issues, maternity leave, um, uh, you know, laws to help parents out? Are there been any rumblings or discussions about what that might look like? Um, yes, I think that, uh, I'm guessing, I don't have a crystal ball. Um, we know the fa- the family first coronavirus relief act, uh, expired on December 31st and was not extended on a mandatory basis. Um, employers can still voluntarily comply with it and get the tax credits. And that law really is the first law that's ever on a federal level approached paid leave or even unpaid job protected leave for childcare issues, right? So we're really really not talking about the the traditional maternity or parental leave, which you get when you have a new baby or adopt a child, um, or family medical leave, which you get when someone in your family is sick. Um, The Family First Coronavirus Relief Act was the first leave ever to be available just because you had a child care issue. Uh, and I am guessing that that um, that leave in some form or fashion will be renewed and extended um, in 2021 with the Senate uh, now flipped. And with that being uh, probably a priority for the Biden administration, and with, honestly, the Republicans as a whole being more on board than you might think with the parental leave concept, um, as opposed to some other measures, 
I think that has a good chance of happening. So I would I would just remind businesses out there um, to check and make sure they know what laws apply. Apart from what they do voluntarily to try and get through this, they may be under some requirements. And then the second thing that I think may happen, although not until later, probably after we get through some of the worst of the pandemic, is a paid parental leave law on the federal level. So that would be the kind of leave that applies when you have a new baby, adopt a child, or have a family medical issue. And there, there's been talk for years of um, a paid leave uh, amendment to the FMLA and with the Senate the way it is now. And with that concept having actually a, a good bit of support among some Republicans, I think there's a chance we'll get paid uh, a family medical leave. Um, maybe not this year, because I think Congress and everybody's going to be very pandemic focused, but I think um, maybe towards the end of this year. So those are guesses, but I think those are realistic possibilities. Uh, I don't think we're going to get a really radical change. Um, I won't get into the concept of filibuster, but because of that um, being available, I don't think we're going to see sweeping radical liberal legislation getting passed. But I do think there have been enough Republicans all along that were on board with the concept of parental paid parental leave that with the current dynamics, we're going to see something like that. And I also think that we're going to see an increase in the minimum wage. Michelle, do you have a, a sense of what impact um, the stimulus money both last year and now and then also the unemployment benefits uh, extension of or the uh, additional unemployment benefits helped i i don't know if you worked with anybody or, or if you deal with anybody uh, that had benefited from those but it seems like those were lifelines that that really made a difference i think definitely i think especially um from the perspective of small business owners um receiving that um that assistance really kind of got them through it not this whole duration but helped them um you know stay afloat for a few months um maybe more could have been done but um i mean it, of course anything is better than nothing um but I think moving forward, and I think for 2021, I think a lot of people are very nervous because um, th th this is still going on and they're not getting either the job opportunities um, or the government assistance that, um, you know, we'd probably, you know, like, like I was saying, we didn't think we'd be in this still. Um, and we still need a lot more support. It's funny, just yesterday I was recording another episode. It was uh, with military spouses to talk about, you know, the it's it's tangentially relevant because many of them are mothers. Um, the f biggest hurdle for them, they have something like uh, seven times the normal unemployment rate um, because they have childcare concerns and because they move so often. And, you know... We are in a unique situation now with remote work being possible and kind of a proven concept at this point. Um, so I was, you know, asking them kind of like, is there a hope? Like, are you guys seeing um, more opportunities for people like that because they could work remotely? They could work at anywhere. They could go wherever, uh, go. They could 
find the jobs wherever they're at, you know, and uh, the disheartening truth was that that is not really happening. A lot of places that have gone remote are looking still regionally because they still have this concept that, well, we're going to have the office open again one day. We're going to have, you know, people back, back at work at some point, and we don't want we don't want them to be halfway across the country. And uh, it seems like remote work would be one of those solutions. If you're a frontline worker, uh, if you're if you need a second job because you're not getting the hours you were supposed to be getting, or whatever it is, you know. And at the same time, I see that hesitancy by organization to to truly open it up. I'm just curious if you guys have any thoughts of that as it pertains to to this issue. Yeah, I think definitely. Um... I, I'm seeing that with companies where they are, um, they are hopeful that they will be back in the office. And so when they're hiring right now, they're really focused on their specific geographical area, uh, which I understand to an extent. Um, on the flip side, there are that many other companies um, when they're hiring that have now kind of broadened their horizon on you know who who they would you know who they would hire, especially. You know, it may not be happening at certain levels of a job, but for um, mid to senior level roles, I find that um, given the uh, qualities and qualifications of a person, they are very much willing to overlook um, the proximity. I don't know if that's happening um, at more entry level um, positions. You know, it raises an interesting issue to, to, as I'm thinking about it from the employment law perspective, um, because every state has its own set of employment laws, uh, and they can be very, very different. And the employment law that applies is the law where the employee resides. It's not where your corporate office is located. And so... You know, if you're asking me for advice and you have 100 people in an office building in Nashville, I can tell you what the law is. But if you have um, 100 people that are spread all over the country, it becomes really complicated. And some of those people are going to have entitlements that others don't. Uh, and so it's just kind of interesting. And, 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 and I, you know, I have some clients that have had to deal with that to some extent already because there are um, companies that are e-companies that have people that work remotely all over the place, even before the pandemic, right? But if, if, if this comes to pass where in, uh, companies are really throwing out those geographic boundaries and there's no brick and mortar office that people are going to, it's interesting. Because, you know, we talk about federal law, but there are 50 different sets of <laughs> employment laws out there. And uh, so anyway, that's, that's another challenge of the new, new era. Yeah, it is. And um, it's, it's interesting that you brought that up because when this did all go down and um, a lot of people that I knew personally um, and just from you know, hearing uh, people share stories about their coworkers, a lot of them were saying they were going to pick up and move because their companies were going remote. Um, and for and for the foreseeable future, they were staying remote. And a lot of um, companies were saying, you're not keeping this salary if you're picking up and moving. You know, I live in Boston. 
and they were saying, you know, we're we're sh we're gonna shift. We, you're not gonna get Boston salary living in Oklahoma. So it was kind of like this warning that you know that things will change if you move. And I don't know how you, you know, you know how much they can enforce that. I guess that, I mean I guess they can, you know, they they can enforce anything. But um, but it was. But I can see how for them on many levels they don't want to lose their employees to a different state. But the um, logistical aspect of it would make things much more complicated. Well, and it's even the technical part, yeah. like the unemployment taxes and the workers' comp coverage, and it's all going to be tied to where the employee is. So it's fascinating. Mm -hmm. It is really interesting. I mean, you got to figure too when a lot of people went home, you know, for that were in like New York. A lot of those people live in Connecticut, you know, or they live some of them in New Jersey. So you went from having one set of rules in one building to now you've got three set of rules right away you know and i bet yeah. you a lot of organizations uh went through that growing pain you know and then made the decision okay well if it's going to be like this with three states what's it going to be like with 50 what if someone goes to another country you know what if who who wants to do who wants to do that math anyway i think that's about it i i'm hopeful that we <laughs> basically it sounds like things are well how about i ask you guys one more question um, it sounds like things are pretty bad. They are bad, you know, and I guess I'm wondering if either of you have any hope for the future. Um, anything you see coming that, that maybe. I have a lot of hope All right. for the future. I mean, I feel, I feel actually pretty optimistic that, um, or maybe I just have to stay optimistic. No, I do feel optimistic. I think like with anything, sometimes humans need the hard push and you know, the, the really in your face, here's the reality of the situation, um, to make change. And I think that this woke us up to a lot of problems. And, um, I, I think that it will really push for, um, driving change. I think you're going to see a lot of companies setting the tone, um, for other companies to have to catch up to that the way to retain the best talent is to have um, great benefits, to have great corporate culture, to be inclusive, to be diverse, to value people with differing opinions, and you know, um, and I think it might take some some time, but I think that we will definitely see some positive changes from this experience. Um, I do have hope, Jim, because I've seen companies do well in this environment. I've seen some of my clients that learn to adapt and that have learned to be flexible and have figured out ways to engage their workforce so that everyone's doing okay and feels valued. I mean, that's not universal and I'm not gonna sugarcoat it. I think there are challenges, but I've seen success stories, so I know it can happen. Uh, and I, I think a lot of, of employers are going to hopefully learn those same lessons and they're gonna have no choice really. Yeah, that's what I'm hoping too. Um, well, that's about it for today, but uh, thank you again so much, Kara uh, and Michelle, for joining us today. Thank you, Jim, for having us. Thank you so much. Absolutely. You're, you're most welcome. Remember, listeners, this is a Sherm Credit Approved podcast. All you have to do is go to hrdailyadvisor.blr.com forward slash Sherm code. That's S-H-R-M-C-O-D-E. Enter the code parental. 
Finally, we are always interested in suggestions you might have for what HR Works should cover next. So please feel free to reach out to us on Twitter at HR Works Podcast. With any thoughts or concerns you have about the podcast in general, or if you just want to say hi, thank you for listening. This is Jim Davis with HR Works.